Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Good morning, dear listeners. You're listening to Radio 3CR on 855 AM and Palestine Remembered with Robert Martin, Nasser Mashni and Yusuf Ahmed Rimawi. Thank you for tuning in to another edition of Australia's only radio program that is totally dedicated to the Palestinian cause in English language. Stay with us and enjoy the episode. Nasser and Robert, good morning. Good morning, Yusuf and Robert. Good morning, listeners. Now, how good is this that we're, the three of us are back together? The A-team is time. back. Beware Zionists, the yeah. A-team is we're back. We're back. Look out. We are back. Well, it has been maybe uh, a month or a little bit more since the three of us were in, in the studio, and it sounds like uh, we have a few topics to talk about. Tell us, Nasser, what our topics are. So we're going to do a fly around of a few things. Unfortunately, we're, you know, one of the realities of uh, you know, our radio station, but also being a Palestinian, is we commemorate so many events. And mm. we're going to commemorate the massacre in Deir Yassin in April 8, 9, uh, 1948, so 70 years there. Mm. We're going to commemorate um, now 30 years since Abu Jihad Khalil al-Wazir was uh, assassinated uh, in Tunisia. Um, Palestine Prisoners' Day. Uh, also, we're going to speak about Gaza and uh, about a famous Palestinian painter that we lost, Jemana al-Hassini. Yes, so we, we will start uh, with the, uh, the massacre, without which uh, Israel wouldn't have been created. And I'm quoting Menachem Begin in his diaries, where he said, without Deir Yassin, Israel would not have been born. Now, what happened on the 9th of April 1948, Nasser? Well, we, we know that... Um, the Zionists, at the time, they were terrorist organizations. We have to remember that Menachem Begin ended up being Prime Minister of the State of Israel, won a Nobel Peace Prize in, in 77 for um, Camp, uh, David, Camp yeah. David Accords. But, you know, there was a wanted poster for this criminal yeah. issued by the, man, uh, the, uh, the Palestine police, the British Mandate of Palestine. Yeah. Um, on April 9, they surrounded um, Deir Yassin and... According to different accounts, somewhere between 100, but we believe well over 200 people were systematically executed, lined mm. up against walls, um, women, children, elderly, and gunned down. Mm. And they left just enough uh, alive. And they sent some north, some south, some east, some west, and said, tell them we're on our way. Yep. Tell your Palestinian friends, family, what happened relatives, in the, in the tell them what happened here. Will happen to you. We're on our way. And and that barbarity, the evil Zionist Irgun Lehi uh, um, terrorist gangs, that fear then propelled and created the mass exodus that predates or created the Nakba, you know, the catastrophe that was Palestine. So that, that was the trigger point. Did you say Absolutely. It was a turning point in the Nakba events because Nakba refers to events that happened uh, from November 47 to today. To today, but the creation of Israel, I think uh, the end of the warfare 
was when uh, Israel and the Arab countries signed the uh, armistice. Armistice, yeah. But, but, but the importance of Der Yassin massacre was a the location of the village. It is one of five villages that today refers to West Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. So West Jerusalem is a term that we started hearing about yeah. after 48 because Israelis wanted to make a presence in Jerusalem before for, before 48. So there was five villages to the west of the ancient wall. You have Ain Karim, you have Der Yassin, you have Al-Malha, you have uh, Beit Mahsir, also the fifth one uh, I can't recall now. These five villages make the suburbs of today's West Jerusalem. Uh, we spoke to people from uh, Der Yassin uh, a few uh, days ago. They told us uh, that uh, a group of them and a group of uh, Al-Malha village uh, refugees went to the ruins and managed to do some singing and managed to commemorate their grandfathers, which means that, you know, today's generation will never forget the legacy of this massacre. And we have to uh, also say that Israel, after the creation, it's not that, you know, before Nakba there was no state, there was Jewish gangs, and after 48, now that there was states, the massacres ended. No, Israel actually continued the massacres policy, and we have in the 50s the massacre of Qibya, the massacre of Kufr Qasim, in the 60s the massacre of Asimur, in the 70s the massacres of uh, Tal Zatar, and the list goes on, the list goes on. And now, uh, only two weeks ago, targeting civilians, targeting protesters who came to the borders uh, without weapons, Mm -hmm. and this is in line with the policy and ideology on which Israel was created. Absolutely. So um, April 17, we know, is Palestine Prisoners' Day, where Palestinians the world over uh, remember those Palestinians that are, that are in jail, that are under administrative detention, etc. Um, you know, the, the, the facts speak to the military nature of uh, Zionism and, and, and just how awful it is. One, you know, when, when you spread out the numbers and actually start calculating them, you start to really wonder what sort of mentality can can do this to another human being another human population since the occupation in 1967 since israel took gaza east jerusalem and the west bank there have been 800,000 palestinian prisoners that's 20% of the total mm. population and 40% of the male population mm. 4 in 10 of every male since 1967, so you're a family of 10, four of have your relatives been have been in jail. And 52,000 of those are administrative yeah. as well, which is, uh, are you going to explain? Well, I think administrative detention is where somebody is held without with, without, without trial, trial without, without, yeah, without any, well, no reason at all. So basically they're and they come keep to renewing it every six months perpetually. So 52,000 administrative detentions. No trial. You're not see, you don't get to see the evidence. You're held uh, in communicado. They won't tell anybody where you are, what's going on for months on end. These uh, administrative detention orders get renewed. You never get to see the evidence as to what it is. Mm. And the, if, you, if you take the 52,000 since 1967, multiply them by three months, you end up with 15,000 years of dra- jail time where the person who's in jail has not seen the evidence that has been presented against them, yet a closed court has determined they need to stay in there. 15,000 years. Mm. I mean, 8,000 Palestinian children, you know, these are under 18, 8,000 Palestinian children arrested since the year 2000. 
200 Palestinians have died in Israeli jails from medical neglect. Hmm. Medical neglect. That's where we know they've got... systematic. You know, medical negligence is a systematic weapon that Israel is is imposing on the Palestinian prisoners. And I recall Farah Bakir, the 16-year-old teenager who was taken to prison with a broken arm and was denied uh, seeing a doctor for eight months. And the problem is... With a broken arm. And the problem is none of these Palestinians have ever been given compensation once they've been let out and there's been no charges and all of a sudden the Israelis say, hey... You know, sorry, well, they don't even say no. sorry, but they'll let you out. Mm-hmm. They're not being held to account, which is something Not to mention the conviction rate. <laughs> the 99.9% conviction rate. Don't forget Michael Denby. Um, also, the, the, the systematic imprisonment of our press, of um, uh, uh, our legislators. legislators. So, you know, Marwan Baruti, Khalid Jarad, Ahmed Saadet, these, mm. these are members of the, the, the Palestinian National Council, um, who, who should be have been democratically elected to represent their constituency? The head of the parliament, Aziz Dweek from Hamas, was imprisoned for years. Also, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's sickening, and and we shouldn't forget the parallels between the racist settler colonialist enterprise that is Israel and the, what happens here in Australia. You know, the, the parallels between incarceration rates for Palestinians and our indigenous people in Australia. Um, why, you know, if you look in Australia between the the incarceration rate, the illiteracy rate, the health rates, the life expectancy of an indigenous people, of our indigenous people. It speaks to the systematic abuse of a theoretically superior race over the indigenous inhabitants. And they can do it because they've othered us. And this is the otherness is an Aboriginal, the otherness is an Arab. The otherness is, hold on a second, Ahad Tamimi is in jeans with blonde hair and blue eyes. She's obviously a fake Palestinian mm. being paid. I mean, and this and is... Just for people Ma- that don't Michael know, this, this is actually something that some of yeah, the, yeah. Uh, the, the Israeli politicians actually thought and, and she was a plant. And, and, and they thought she was a plant and spent Israeli taxpayer money doing an investigation to see whether or not um, she was a is real Palestinian. How stupid is this? Yeah. I mean, it, it's enough to visit, to pay a visit to Palestine to see the diversity in the Palestinian uh, skin color. You will see, that, of course, m- the majority of us will be like uh, the rest of Arabs, <laughs> but you will see African Palestinians yeah, yeah. in Jericho and Jerusalem, and you will see European Palestinians uh, or European-looking Palestinians. We've got like cousins, Yusuf. We've even, got cousins that are as red-headed as any well, my, Scottish... My own grandmother was red-headed. Like a proper ginger. So uh, the diversity in the Palestinian society is something that you cannot miss. You cannot miss that. And I've seen, uh, I'm sure, uh, Robert, you've seen it. Uh, you've entered so many Palestinian homes. And it's not an issue, you know. We all are Palestinians, regardless of how degree of, of our skin color and regardless of our faith. And um, But it bothers the Israelis because... Someone like Ahad Tamimi, she broke the observable, stereotypical portrait of Palestinians in Western media because she looks like she looks like you. She looks like one of your daughters, mm. and she looks like uh, uh, Europeans and Americans, mm. and that itself is a threat. The threat is, yeah, because you can't other a blonde person. Mm. You can't other Rachel Corey. You can't other that. It's true. That's what you're saying. It's absolutely. <coughs> Also on the on the issue of Palestinian uh, on Palestinian prisoners, we have to also uh, understand that when Israel takes a prisoner captive, a member of a family of five or six, it's actually not on, not only it is taking the guy or the girl 
captive, it's holding the whole family hostage yeah, yeah. because the whole lives <coughs> of the members of this person changed of course. from the moment this person is yeah. imprisoned. And maybe one of the advantages of, of Facebook, let's say, is I see members of the refugees, I see members of the prisoners, of, of their families, what their comments, what they say. In fact, 90% of their Facebook comments is related to their imprisoned family member. Okay. Whether we miss you, uh, we remember you, we did something for you, I'm sad without you. I mean, I can tell you freely that 90% is, at, is, is, is on the prisoner issue. And um, we're, we're, we're approaching our fourth week now of the Great Return March in Gaza, and we've you know, again seen another weekend, another Friday of um, bloodshed and uh, assassinations, and we call them assassinations because, you know, the the when when your army raises mounds, uses bulldozers to raise mounds, so you have an elevated position over a civilian elevated position over a civilian captive population, and you train your um, weapon upon that civilian population, and you shoot whether they're a member of the press, as we saw, or an ambulance driver, or a child. Um, this this is cold blooded murder. And we saw some very horrific images uh, in the past week, uh, in particular of a 12-year-old child who had his leg blown off. I mean, the, the, those that are on Facebook may have seen it. But um, what beggars belief is the callous mentality of the human being that can actually, you know, level uh, the crosshairs of a high-powered rifle. This boy was not randomly hit. No. He was targeted. Well, I mean, the, the Israeli army said in the, in the, on the first Friday, we know where every bullet landed and we can account for every bullet, and every bullet got to where it was supposed to be. I mean, a, a tweet that they deleted, but yeah. it reflects their... Uh, this comes back to when you're saying it's an other, yeah. because he's there looking at a child that's not a child in his eyes. He's, no. a, he's a terrorist. Also, but, you know. targeting children is systematic policy of the Israeli soldiers. And I want to make reference to Emmanuel Hams in 1990. In 2004, this schoolgirl on her way to school in Gaza before the settlements in Gaza were disassembled, she was targeted, she was killed, and then the soldier approached her dead body and emptied his rifle. To confirm more, the kill. To, more than 30 bullets mm -mm. was shot on a dead child, dead mm -hmm. schoolgirl, which reflects the type of... He uh, said he'd do it again too. You're listening to Palestine Remembered on 855 AM on Radio 3CR. So on Monday, um, Australians for, uh, Australia Palestine Advocacy Network and the Australian Jewish Democratic Society held a joint event called A Stein for Palestine. Um, and it was held in a local bar in, in Melbourne. And there was a, a Palestinian and uh, an, uh, an ex-Israeli, I'll call her an ex-Israeli, and um, uh, a Palestinian via Lebanon. They all gave presentations and talks about their own experiences but in particular and we talked about the inhumanity of the of the indoctrination of zionism and what that does to a soldier that he can kill a 12 year old or shoot somebody wearing a press vest or, or or target an ambulance but there are you know in the truest sense of judaism there are many very good jews and and a very very good jew um in in the, in the truest sense of you know the old testament and the, and the belief in a one god spoke about her personal journey from a kibbutz near Jenin and farming the land and seeing that the Palestinian workers weren't getting paid the same and then working out that, in fact, those Palestinian workers that were in from a Jenin refugee camp were probably the original owners of this land. 
could no longer live in Israel, left, and, you know, I'll call her a post-Zionist. I'm not sure exactly what she, she calls herself. But today, there are Jews, and we are talking now to Australian Jews. You don't need to be part of Zionism. You don't need to be. You can say, I can't have Israel represent me when 3 million Palestinians in the West Bank, 2 million in Gaza, 1 million of them in, uh, children, when those people wake up and are trapped and the amount of food that comes in, the, the calorific intake is calculated and determined, pre- preordained, the land, sea, air blockade, the 1.7 million um, Palestinians inside the state of Israel, the alleged uh, equals, alleged equal citizens, you can you can say that doesn't represent me. It doesn't represent Judaism. Not to mention the eight million refugees who are denied the return. Yeah, so we're calling for those Jews to be true to their Judaism and not be Zionists and call out this evil manifestation that has been created and and disassociate themselves and join us in a boycott, divestment, and sanctions campaign yeah. to make Israel comply with international law. I think we should uh, have a special mention to the ambulance and all the emergency workers in Gaza who are under continual fire. I mean, we know that the Israeli army will kill the the, uh, the press. They'll also shoot towards the medics. They're using a uh, an indescript gas on a lot of the civilian population. There's a lot of footage coming out of convulsions and all different reactions. Uh, and the fact that these guys don't get paid to do what they do, they are running into an area and knowing that they are under fire. So kudos to these guys. And, Absolutely. You know, they're, they're complete volunteers. Look, uh, in Gaza, in West Bank, wherever there is confrontation with the Israeli army, there will be the, um, so the, 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 the Palestinian resistance, uh, and there will be also the unknown soldiers. And these are the people uh, like the paramedics, the... Uh, Nisreen Amira. And, of course, we will have to mention uh, Nisreen Amira, who is a 19-year-old Palestinian refugee living in West Bank. She was... um, There was a a footage of her in the middle of clashes between Palestinians and Israeli soldiers near the north of uh, Ramallah in Albire. Soldiers Uh, were trying to stop her from getting to someone that was on the ground. Soldiers were intimidating her, pushing her, physically trying to remove her. And she said, I'm not going anywhere. What were the the exact words that she said? were uh, were pretty amazing. She said, they hit me on my back, they hit me on my stomach, they hit me on my shoulders, and I did not leave the young guy. And she I also she said, said they, dare, they dare you to shoot me she or you said, wouldn't She said, able. in the middle of that, uh, and I told the soldiers as they were intimidating me with their weapons, فَشْرَتْ عَيْنَكْ Which is uh, translated, I dare you. You think that I'll allow you to take him whilst I'm alive? If you want to shoot, shoot. She also said, uh, and I will say it in Arabic, quoting her, quoting Nisreen, All their threatening actions with their rifles didn't scare me. And I won't back down, not for a moment. My humanitarian mission is bigger than their soldiers and their weapons. So what can we say to Nisreen? This is a 19-year-old girl. So good luck Zionism defeating that. This is the spirit. And uh, never break that spirit. People like Nisreen and the unknown soldiers and the paramedics deserves to be mentioned and their work deserves to be acknowledged. And, you know, another commemoration, Yusuf, uh, this is the 30th year 
the 16th of April 1988, since Abu Jihad, Khalil Wazir, was assassinated. Uh, he was Abu Omar's, uh, Yasser Arafat's number two, uh, deputy of the PLO. Um, and an Israeli um, mission, they went into his home in Tunisia, uh, in, Tunisia uh, in the middle of the night and in front of his family, riddled his body with bullets. Um, so th- this was in Tunisia yeah, that this happened this as well? Was, yeah, this was after 1992 and the, pal- the PLO f- left P- Lebanon. PLO uh, uh, left Lebanon to Tunisia, which is 3,000 miles uh, away from Palestine in, in a deal uh, coordinated by the Americans after the 82 invasion of Lebanon. And uh, the Tunisian authorities gave the Palestinian Liberation Organization a decade where they can stay until further notice. So uh, from 82 to 92. And now during this time, uh, several things happen in the Palestinian national struggle events. Uh, for example, the civil war in Lebanon was uh, happening. But more importantly, the start up of the first intifada. The first intifada was mostly orchestrated by this man. Mm-hmm. He was considered the architect of the first intifada because while he did not start it, but Khalil al-Wazir Abu Jihad was one of the spearheads where he gave the intifada its momentum by coordinating, by mobilizing the troops on ground and by also making sure that this is not a random response. This is going to lead into something more organized, something more sustainable, something that will have political uh, uh, agenda and end, something that can be translated into um, results. And like what they said, what he said, the resistance intifada seeds and the oh. politicians can harvest later into the future state so of the Palestinians. He was he was well loved by all Palestinians. We're not talking political factions. While he belonged to Fatah, uh, but he was not a Fatah figure only. I think all Palestinians feel represented by Khalil al Wazir and people like him. And this is why. Is this he, why he was murdered? His legacy, of course, he was so dangerous to the Israeli mm. government. It was dangerous and because the, the first intifada, we, we, this is one of the momentous times that we took control of the uh, agenda. You know, this is the first time that the Western world was looking at Palestinians yeah. sympathetically. Kids were getting shot at, bones broken by an uh, illegal, oppressive occupier. And Khalil Abu Jihad was orchestrating this. And, you know, the reports are that he was working on a memo about the Intifada when, when they burst into his room. And we've got to remember, he, they put 70 bullets into his body, 70 bullets in front of his eldest son and in front of his wife. His I mean, wife, this, yeah. this, you know, we talk about Gaza today. This, the barbarity is, you know, well entrenched into, into Zionism and the, the evilness of their army. You have to, un- to understand that before uh, First Intifada, the Palestinian struggle was outside Palestine. So it was the first time since Naksa, or since Nakba, mm-hmm. basically, that the Palestinian regained the initiative and started something against occupation inside. Inside Palestine. Inside Palestine. And they didn't know what to do, the Israelis. And, and the Israelis were exposed before the world, and that's why even the later Prime Minister of Israel, Yitzhak Rabin, the guy who was viewed like the man of peace, was the one who uh, basically started the bones-breaking policy mm-hmm. to crush the determination of young Palestinians protesting against occupation in West Bank, Jerusalem, and Gaza. And there was famous footage of soldiers re- literally breaking the bones, yeah, yeah. literally breaking from, from the, the bones, 
of Palestinians with rocks and rifle butts, rocks and rifle butts, bending arms backwards, exposing an elbow, and then you know Rushing breaking, breaking. I mean, it's just horrific footage. Also, Nasser, as you may remember, the uh, funeral of Abu Jihad was also uh, an event itself mm-hmm. because uh, he was killed. He was assassinated in Tunisia, and his will that he was uh, he wanted to be buried in Palestine, but of course Israel refused that. Of course. And uh, the second uh, choice was he was he wanted to be buried in Yarmouk refugee camp in Syria. In Syria. Now, back then, the relationship between PLO and Syria was very bad. And the Syrian authorities, uh, while they could not say no to some big figure like Khalil Wazir, uh, I remember my relatives in Yarmouk camp talking to me about the funeral. Uh, it was the first time Yasser Arafat was allowed to go Syria. to Syria after the, mm-hmm. um, the, the the cutting the ties between the Syrian regime and the PLO of 1983. So it was the first time that Arafat uh, was allowed to go to Yarmouk camp, and uh, all Yarmouk camp took the street, including people who didn't have any form of involvement with politics. They just went to see Yasser Arafat and they literally carried his car, you know, as it walked, as it, you know, started uh, entering uh, Yarmouk. So um, it was an an event itself. And unfortunately, with the fall of Yarmouk in the hands of either uh, the wrong hands now, his uh, grave was targeted by ISIS uh, fighters, I heard, last year. So this is a sad, uh, another, a further pain to the pain. I further point about you know I, I I wasn't sure I was going to share this story, but I remember when Abu Jihad died. My father was very very close with Abu Jihad, um, in fact closer with him than with Abu Omar, and um, he didn't believe it. And he had Abu Jihad's house phone number, and uh, he called and spoke to um, Intisar Abu Jihad, Im Jihad, and um, you know the phone call would have cost hundreds of dollars then because it's not such a simple thing to call from Australia to Tunis. And um, it was a, a, a normal thing for us to see Dad cry. And I say Dad cry in the sense of his pain for Palestine, whether it was, you know, a massacre or a commemoration or the, you know, the perpetual assassination cycle that Israel and, and uh, put us through. But this was, without question, his most pain day. And, mm. you know, he was, there was just, it was a silent sob for, for, for our loss. Well, uh, God's mercy be upon uh, the soul of Abu Jihad and your father and all mm-hmm. Palestinians who died before Palestine was liberated. We also lost a very famous Palestinian artist uh, this past week, Jaman al-Husseini. Uh, she was born in 1932 in, in Jerusalem, part of the al-Husseini uh, family. She was a painter and sculptor. She lived in Paris, was taught and educated uh, in Beirut, but she was really, uh, really quite famous in her uh, representation of women in sculpture, ceramics, and, and other paintings. And she dedicated all her work to the Palestinian cause and uh, basically Absolutely. to Jerusalem. So uh, it's people like uh, Jumana al-Husseini, people like Reem al-Banna, the Palestinian uh, singer who passed away last month, people like Naji al-Ali, uh, the cartoonist who was as also assassinated in London yes. in 1987. And people know him from Handala. Handala the icon. Yep. And people like Ismail Shamut, and the list goes on. The Palestinian, the Palestinian artists and the intellectuals are the spearhead of Arab literature and culture. And finally, just as we're closing, Yusuf, uh, a big shout out our station manager Michaela, her mother Jordi, and partner Thalia came to our um, 
protest uh, a couple of weeks ago and had heard us on the show and they had plans for that Saturday but they only found out about the protest from the show and their regular listeners. So Georgie and Thalia, thanks so much for listening and thanks for coming to our protest. That's beautiful. And Michaela, you've got a great mum. Okay, and this is where we have to end the show again for another week. Thank you, uh, listeners, for joining us. Thank you, NASA. Thank you, Yusuf. And we'll see everybody next week. Thank you, Robert. And until we meet next time, this is uh, Nasser, Yusuf, and Robert wishing you the best of time and salam.